Howdy, folks. I'm Caleb Clark. I'm David Dorff. And I'm Ricky Flowers. And you're listening to Late Motifs. Today we're going to be doing a career retrospective on the German kraut rock band Can. Can Can? Can Can Can. Can 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 Can. Can 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 Can. We'll answer all of these questions and more. <laughs> going home. You're already at home, Dave. There's no escape. This is home. Oh no. Um, oh yeah. Let's let's just kick this right off with the history of Can, aka the one band that random nerds will always reference whenever they're trying to do some obscure band or put on their top ten albums of all time lists. Okay, did you did either of you two like obviously Ricky knew about them, but Caleb, did you know about them before like this? I'd never heard of these guys. Maybe I'm and just general, um, ignorant. I don't know. I had like <clears throat> heard them come up in passing because I'm a huge nerd and like I do all random things like look through the list of highest rated albums on best album ever or have a book called A Thousand and One Albums You Need to Listen to Before You Die. And so they'll come up and like people will be like, Take Omega's amazing. And then I tried to listen to it at one point and I didn't get it, so I never really thought of it again until okay. we're doing this. So. I mean, to be fair, I I didn't know a ton about them. I had just listened to Take Omega and I really enjoyed what I had heard and then but I kinda just forgot about it and then when we were doing this, I was like, huh, we could do a kraut rock band. And this one seemed like the most doable just of like the big starting three or four bands. This one seemed to have the most interesting discography. So, yeah. Are you going to make us do a big four of kraut rock in the next turn? <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's go. Nah. Speaking of which, do we want to start with like what Kraut Rock actually is? Because I'm going to be honest, I don't really know much about it except that it's um German and it's probably some sort of rock. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can probably talk a little bit about that. So, yeah, I mean, it's a really broad thing. It, I, it, I mean, it began it began in the late '60s with. Um, I guess what's really interesting about it is that a lot of the starting, a lot of the people who were, who kind of started it were like pretty into like modern and avant-garde classical music. And that's kind of where they were coming from. And then, but um, yeah, like you've probably heard of Kraftwerk. They're maybe the most yeah. like most commercially, I don't know, accessible of the of kraut rock bands. But it yeah, I don't know. It's it it seems really broad and refer to and it refers to just like a bunch of different German styles that are loosely like related to progressive and psychedelic rock and but there's also more like electronic stuff going on and like tape effects and stuff that you wouldn't find in like 
American or British prog rock of the same period. Um, and you can definitely see the influence that like all that, like even with can, you have these like really repetitive driving drum beats that are, that have been really influential on like electronic music, which I mean, and hip hop music and trip hop and all that. So, but yeah, that's my spiel about Krautrock, I guess. Oh, I like Kraftwerk, so you know, I might get more into that stuff. I've never seen that. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because there's a band, Popol Va, who I've listened to, or Vu or whatever, and they're like way more in the, at least the album I listened to is way more in the new age, like ambient sort of stuff. And then like Tangerine Dream is kind of like that. And apparently it's all kraut rock. <laughs> so I think really it's just like a term for sort of experimental, psychedelic, progressive, electronic sort of stuff that that was going on in Germany in the 60s and 70s. So yeah. Um, should we just get into the the band can now? Oh yeah. Or Sounds good. I think okay. So yeah, I mean as I was saying they um you know the other couple of the other bands started in like 68 basically with um, a couple of musicians who were like kind of into classical type like modern classical stuff that was going on mainly holger shuk i don't know how to pronounce it i'm just gonna say chukai <laughs> because that's that seems to make sense but um so he yeah holger chukai and this flautist david johnson started a band and then they um found uh michael caroli the key or the guitarist and um yaki Liebezeit, who was the drummer and also Ermin Schmidt was kind of original keyboard player and stuff. Um, and originally they went by Inner Space and also The Can. <laughs> and then they became Can. But, um, oh, and they didn't really have a vocalist until they found... Uh, Malcolm Mooney, who was from New York, or I, I don't know, yeah, New York. Um, and so, yeah, they put out their first, well, they recorded their first album, but they didn't put that out for some reason because they couldn't find a label. And then they recorded Monster Movie, which seemed to get some attention. And it, I don't know. Well, yeah, we'll talk about the music later, but, um, and then after that, they kind of, I guess Mooney left. It's funny, his, 
Apparently, a psychiatrist told him that getting away from the chaotic music of Can would be better for his mental health. And that was before uh, Tego Mago. <laughs> so, who knows what was going on with then. But, and then, I guess soon after he left, they found Demo Suzuki busking outside a cafe in Munich and they were like, hey, you want to come jam with us? And then that same day, they asked him to join their band. <laughs> so that was interesting. Uh, and so then they put out Tego Mego, which was seemed to be pretty successful. Um, I don't know about, I didn't see anything about record labels or anything, but, and then Ege Bamyaze, might as well just say right now we're gonna we're gonna have crazy pronunciations of all of these words um and then in 1973 they put out future days which was the last album with damo suzuki and i'll turn it over to you caleb thanks ricky uh, fun fact damo left because he was getting married and also became a jehovah's witness <laughs> yeah so Good for him. I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> I wonder if his girlfriend was a Jehovah's Witness or if those two were just unrelated. Who knows? But uh let's see. After that they start they continue recording albums. They have some like temporary singers join up, but sometimes Ermin Schmidt and Michael Caroli take over the singing duties, but at this point they're not really much of a vocal band. Uh Soon over Baba Yuma, Luma, or whatever it's called. That ends up being their next album. It sort of follows in the same direction as Future Days. But then they start to slowly drift out of their hard rock and jazz and ambient into something a bit more light around Flow Motion, which is a bit more R&B and world music centered and also has their only hit record outside of Germany called I Want More, which hit number 26 on the UK Hot 100 and put them on the hot of the top of the pops. So there's a little fun fact for you. Uh, after that, they made Landed and Saw the Light. Af around that album, uh, they had a little bit of a lineup shakeup. Members of another of an English rock band known as Traffic end up joining. I think it was Trip. It was Trip. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Members of a band called Traffic end up joining. Their names are Rebop, Kwaku Ba, and Roscoe Bas Roscoe McGee. <laughs> <laughs> who played uh, percussion and bass however at this point Shuke, that's how I'm going to say his name and screw you Ricky okay. uh, he ends up sort of getting uh, pushed out of the band partly because he wasn't getting as much input into the creative process and partly because he was only a, ever really a placeholder bassist according to himself and so once they got an actual bassist it was like eh they don't really need me as much uh, after that, they eh, they recorded Inner Space, no, Out of Reach, which they end up disowning, and then a self-titled album, and then they go on hiatus in 1979. And now, Dave. Yes, and um, it's where if you go on a hiatus, there's um, probably a pretty good reason for it. Um, they decided to come back 
with um their original vocalist actually Mooney to record Right Time. And so it was the first time Mooney was singing since um the debut monster movie. And it was supposed to be like, you know, this big glorious comeback and it actually was just awful. Just the wrong oh. time. Then, wrong guy, I get it, I get it, I get it. Um edit out me not getting it. Thank you, Caleb. For, um, <laughs> you're great. Yeah, and then they just Released right time, and then they just kind of faded off. Um, a lot of them had some solo careers. They did some live shows. Um, most of them are dead now, um, especially all the consistent members. Um, according to this, only like Schmidt is alive. I can't remember if he mentioned Tim or not. But, yeah, they just kind of slowly withered away. And then, as far as I can tell, none of their solo stuff really ever, like, took off, per se. Unless I'm missing something. Uh, yeah, okay. Oh. Yeah, I didn't really, I didn't look into any other solo stuff or side projects or anything, but. I guess I sort of glanced over and said, like, the Michael Caroli ended up getting into reggae. And I think. Of course. I think it was uh, McGee ended up joining a German TV show's house band. Uh, <laughs> all right. Anyway, let's talk about the music because I don't think we have much more to say about them as people. Uh, <laughs> Monster movie. What do y'all think? So, I like this album. Um, from the start, well, I had read somewhere that it was influenced by the Velvet Underground. So, that's how I kind of heard it. But yeah, the first song sounds very Velvet Underground-ish. And then, I don't know. I'm not... I don't, it also reminded me of The Doors a fair amount. Maybe just because of his voice or something um but yeah it's kind of it seems a bit more of like somewhat conventional psychedelic jammy like uh rock sort of stuff but it's it's good there's and there's some good ones um i really like this song uh yeah, I like the first song a lot. And You Do Right is actually a pretty good one, too. That one might be the most unique because it's like a really long jam that has this, well, at least for a while, it has this just driving, repetitive drum beat that's kind of the center of the track. But yeah, what'd you guys think? Um, I also enjoyed this album a lot more than I thought I would. Um, to be honest, I'm going to explain a bit of my thought process going into all of this. You know, I did some basic, you know, reading on it and, um, saw they were, like, really, um, influential and, like, um, 
avant-garde and like ambient music and i was like oh no that's gonna suck to listen to 11 albums of this but i was very um surprised by how this sounded um definitely sounded way more conventional than i thought i think you mentioned that and um it wasn't like perfect it very clearly was a first album was this released with a major label on it? Because this could definitely use a remaster. Because it was, um, production on it was a bit, um, wacky at times. Like, it was kind of hard to hear Mooney a few times. Couldn't make out much of what he said, usually. <laughs> um, that's that kind of a trend you see of a I lot mean, of first albums. I think with. Their early albums, they were kind of they kind of had an intentionally stripped back recording setting. I yeah. know for I think for Tego Mego and I know for Eki Balmyaza, they were just using a two track record like a two track tape recorder or whatever, uh, and they just had like three mics. Maybe it sounds better on other albums just because there are like less vocals on most of them. That could be. That's it. And, um, no, I enjoyed it. However, I do have um, a moral objection for having um, two sides to a 38-minute album and having one side be one song that's 20 minutes. I feel like that needs to be illegal. Um, someone needs to be put in jail for doing that. Because I didn't look at the track list before I started. I just listened to the first three tracks, and I was like, Okay, I'm kind of digging this, and I'm five minutes into the last one, and I'm like, what's going on? Why is this song? And I look at it to the entire rest of the album. I was like, <laughs> okay. At the end of it, I forget what the beginning was like. <laughs> uh, yeah. I guess it is a bit. It does seem, well, it is true when you have I, for me, it's just like an album that's four tracks. It seems more like a EP, even if it technically is as long. I mean, it is the length of an LP, but it's only four songs. So I don't know. And if I'm reading it correctly, it was just like, you know, a jam. Really just kind of like ever just improvised. Apparently, it was somehow it was compiled from six hours of of jamming <laughs> so they yeah uh, like i i like a lot of jam lot stuff of... but i feel like the... oh, go on uh chuke did a, did a lot of like uh copy and paste sort of stuff i feel like for a lot of a lot of their earlier stuff um, or, you know, so they would just jam and mess around, and even he would even record them when they were just like mm -hmm. screwing around, not and without them knowing that he was recording them. And then he would just like copy and paste. I mean, not literally, but so yeah. Oh, uh, that's kind of my thing. It was good. It kind of made me hopeful for the rest of uh, their career. They 
good. I feel like I would have liked Mooney if I could really hear him, but I couldn't. So it's kind of a moot point. So Caleb, what did you think? I th I really like this one. I think it was one of my favorite albums. Honestly, it's this very sparse, neurotic take on psychedelic rock. Like you guys have been saying, very jammy, very stripped back. Uh, honestly, what it reminds me of, like, obviously, not a, it doesn't sound a whole lot like them, but it's got a similar vibe to, like, really dark early King Crimson or some of the, like, mid-weird level of Sun Ra songs, you know, that little bit of jazz and psychedelia in there. But it's, like, just this very strange cryptic album that I really liked. And yeah, it is commercial. If you listen to their, they end up doing a lot of sound work, soundtrack work in their first few years. They end up compiling them into an album called Soundtracks that I skipped to. And if you're looking for an even more conventional version of Can, there you go. But this is a this is a really good version of Can. I actually do like Malcolm as a vocalist on here. I feel like he's the most present of any of the singers they ended up having. And he just worked for me, I guess. And I just kind of took him as, okay, he's going to come on and ramble some random stuff and then come back in every so often. Like, that's what he does. That's how we do. Yeah. All right. I think we're on to number two. Caleb, you want to keep us going with Tago Miguel? That's actually the one I was most excited to talk about. Sure. So, Tago Mago. Uh, let's see. <laughs> let's just let's do as many do, possible do, pronunciations as we can. All right, let's talk <laughs> about the Tego Mago. So Tegu Megu. <laughs> this is one of the most acclaimed albums of all time. Uh, so Tego Mago. Uh, so the first big change is obviously going from Malcolm Mooney to Damo Suzuki. Neither of them were on key. However, Malcolm seemed to be a bit more of a shouter and would go on long rambles, whereas Damo Suzuki will just sort of whisper in little maddest mantras every so often and be like, I'm a mushroom head, I'm a mushroom head, and then leave. <laughs> <laughs> That's he, the big he, Well, sometimes he also screams in what he head. described as a Stone Age language. <laughs> but, but, yeah. yeah, I would say this is an even more intense and even more minimalistic one. Like the other one had uh, monster movies had like an aura of dread around it, but it was still like sort of a psychedelic rock album. This is just straight up concentrated dread and like fried up electric guitars and it's all very minimal. Uh, seems like they're making very good use of the space in between notes to make you tense up. Like the very monster movie was um kind of, you know, still based in reality that humans exist in. This kind of transcended it. It's creating, like, its own thing that hadn't really... It isn't, like, commonly done. Yeah. I will say, the first half, because this is a double album, the first half would probably be my favorite. If it was its own album, the first half of this, it would probably be my favorite can album. However, right. and the second half, they decide... Hey, occasionally we put in noise elements. Let's just make a bunch of scary noises for 30 minutes. <laughs> and so they make a bunch of scary noises for 30 minutes. And that's the second half of the album, except for one little <laughs> song at the end. And I just don't vibe with that, honestly. Like, 
I get cool. You guys are experimenting with sounds and stuff, but I just, I just, that's where I draw the line. That's where I have to say, all right, guys, you're not actually making music. You're just banging pots and pans and seeing if you can use your sound equipment correctly. So, hey, to be fair, the, to be fair, they I couldn't always do that. <laughs> it's kind of a challenge for them at points. But yeah, that's those my thoughts. Uh, very interesting album. Would have been the best if not for personal biases against noise. Yeah, I think I mostly agree. I yeah, I definitely agree that the first half is like their best work, and then. Like, I don't know, Hallelujah is an I kind of enjoyed that one. But that's still kind of a more conventional jam thing going on. But yeah, when they just start kind of screwing around and screaming and they have recordings of their neighbor's dog and whatever. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's not great. Sometimes it can be interesting to listen to for me if I'm in the mood for it, which is more than I can say for some of their other stuff. <laughs> but yeah, I think also, like like David was saying, the whole otherworldly thing is definitely true. Like that's what really got me, just kind of sucked me in the first time I listened to this, just like Paper House and Mushroom. It sounds like nothing that, n nothing that, nothing else from this like period, or even I don't know, nothing else in rock music really. It's just so, like, sparse, but also, like, yeah, kind of, like otherworldly and like all the like tape effects, like in. Um, I, get, I think maybe it's Paper House. Like the drum beat just has this weird like echo effect on it. It's really interesting. But yeah, I don't know. It's a good album on the whole. All right. So I want to say I really enjoyed this album. Listen to it. Um, a couple of disclaimers come here though. Um, I wouldn't call it a favorite of mine all time. I really enjoy some noise. Like, you know, I like noise albums. You know, like, you know, I like it when they just like I go wild and just pots and pans. I think that can be done really well and really but I think do a good job at it. Um like I, the radio head I like is when they just um York just like goes crazy and they just go wild. But this isn't as good as some of the other real standouts in the genres. I don't imagine myself listening to it too many more times. Um, also, the disclaimer I want to do is that I kind of feel like this is the same for all of Ken's music, especially as it gets more ambient. The reception you have to it's going to be based a lot about what you're doing while you're listening to it. And um, when I was listening to... Um, Go, my go. Um, it was odd circumstances because I was doing my bi monthly Costco trip while I was listening to it. So I was walking through the 
huge halls of Costco warehouses being stared at by bulk food boxes and electronics um, while listening to um, Can just scream in my ear. Like, what song was it? I believe it was um, um, Hallelujah that just really disconcerted me as I'm walking. I think it was was both of those two. Both of those two played back to back. But Hallelujah and Amugan just kind of walking down the hall of the Costco freaks me out. I'm like, what's going on? Walking down with my giant cart and my um, AirPods in, just um, trying to get my rotisserie chicken. Suddenly, I'm just freaked out. So it created it definitely created an atmosphere for me. I'm not sure it would have created the same thing if I was um, you know, just sitting alone at my desk or on my balcony. But I really enjoyed it. But that could just be because of my um first experience. Is, is Mushroom Head about drugs or about a mushroom cloud? Um, I mean, I think the obvious answer is why not both? Exactly. <laughs> okay, I, I think the latest song about a mushroom cloud needs to be on drugs. Like, maybe the song's not about drugs, but you're about drugs. Could and be. these guys were definitely about drugs. Yeah, well, fun fact, apparently kraut in Germany can be used as a term for weed. <laughs> but anyways. AJ Bamyase, because I think we need to read <laughs> right before we can. <laughs> All right. Okay, so actually, yeah, but like it's hard for me to, between this one and Tego Mego, I might actually like this one more. I Well, I definitely do as a whole because less weird messing around and banging on stuff and screaming. But there's some really good songs on here too. And some really nice like grooves. I don't, I guess some people saw or said that it was like very funk influenced, which I wouldn't have really picked up on, but like I, you can definitely see it from all the like funky, break beat sort of drum beats um but yeah vitamin c is great sing swan song is great which shows up on a kanye west song <laughs> which is funny because a labelle song was also on was it the same kanye album i don't know yeah graduation i think it's on both because um it was drunken hot girls that um song was on um i'm gonna go interrupt for one moment here to um make a clarification that um if you are sampled in a kanye song you immediately enter into my upper echelon of artists i enjoy it it exists just producing something worthy of being in a kanye song is enough for me so are you a big fan of panda um, I think that Panda is allowed to exist, and I think their um, existence is a net positive for music. Okay. Uh, I yeah, yeah. No, no, I'll yeah. That. yeah. I personally am a designer, apologist, and revisionist, so I will 
Let's say designer is a god of trap. All hail designer. <laughs> oy, 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 oy. Hey, Caleb, what is our designer episode? Well, he's only got two albums, and both of them are like... Let's do it. So. <laughs> Pretty short episode. Hey, would you rather do two albums or like 11 albums that we've been doing? <laughs> Uh, yeah anyways um that's a good album <laughs> uh, also i think maybe there's even more uh, still a lot of cool like like i don't know interesting like tape stuff going on that i i don't know and also like you have the track spoon that has like electronic drums layered over the actual the live drums or i don't know that goes back and forth between them so kind of some of that kraut rock electronic stuff showing up but yeah what you guys think yeah i really I loved it oh. yeah i don't have much to add on ricky yeah it's just really solid album like you're saying a little bit funkier because a lot of it is all based around the drums. Uh, Jackie Liebekitz, or have you say his name? Apparently he was a free jazz drummer before he joined Can, And so he's just got immaculate drumming. And by immaculate, I mean, you know, funky, crunchy. You know, he's able to play loose. Yeah, make make the drum, drums his playground, basically. And it's just really great to hear him go ham. I think this is the one that's most centered around the drums out of all the Can discography. And it's just really great for that alone. Yeah. This seemed to compare it to um Miguel Miguel. Um this album's probably just objectively conventionally better. Like it's better performed, it's better sounding. But I'm not sure I enjoy it more. Like it was Good, but almost in a boring way, where nothing really particularly stood out to me. Um, I do want to give a shout out to Kanye's ability to recognize talent and everything, because um, Sing Swan Song, my favorite song on this album. Maybe it's because I really like that Kanye album, because Graduation is my favorite Kanye album as part of it. But I enjoyed that a lot. But I did like how. Some of the tracks on this were shorter because I there's a, only so many ten minute tracks I can make. If we end up doing an episode on like a full frog rock band, I um might have to call in sick for that one because I can't. I am a millennial on the border of being a zoomer. I do not have the attention span to um handle all of that. I need my instant gratification. And if I need to wait longer than four minutes to get it, I'm just going to tune up and do something else. But oh, this is good, and it's probably the most accessible thing they have too. So if you're looking to get into Can, I would um probably suggest you start with this before you go to um Gal Magal without if you, unless you have um previous background with some noise or avant garde stuff. Cool. Oh, also, it's kind of funny that, like, they had, apparently they had a lot of trouble finishing this album because at one point 
the Schmidt, the keyboardist, and Damo Suzuki <laughs> just got obsessed with chess and were just playing chess all day, every day. <laughs> like, and they just want the other guys just wanted to record music, but they just kept playing chess. So that was in there, buddy. Good for them. Yeah, Damo Suzuki is an intriguing character to me. Like, even when he's kind of just singing a melody and the words that he's speaking are in English, it's still just, like, completely uh, mysterious to me what he's trying to say. <laughs> but, yeah. So, I guess now... We move on to future days. Um, does someone else want to start, or should I? I don't know. I can start because um, for it. This is the album I was afraid of having to listen to when I started doing some looking to can. Gonna be completely honest, it's probably gonna be kind of short because I have no idea you're supposed to talk about ambient music. I don't get what the appeal is. Maybe one of you guys can explain it to me because I'm an um, judgmental, not open-minded um, boomer in a young man's body. But it just did not appeal to me. Like I just got bored listening to it, and I kept looking at my phone to see if the track was almost over. Because, I don't know, just the idea of background noise being like a well-received album is so odd to me. This isn't the point that like you're not listening to it. I don't know. Is that an actual thing, or am I just being like stupid about this? I don't know. I guess with most ambient music, like half of it is just to like have a nice sound, you know, something to sort of play in the background, but also you can listen and be like, oh, that's nice. And then the other half is like just people showing off their technical proficiencies with sound production, which seemed a bit more on this one. Honestly, Phil it also combined in some jazz elements kind of nicely. Uh, definitely not my favorite. I feel like they ended up doing a, a lot of the ideas in here a lot better on Days Over Babaluma or Soon Over Babaluma or whatever that album's called. I keep forgetting. But yes, yeah, it's, it's nice. It's a nice little aesthetic. Some of those songs were okay. It was an album from before Can Completely Stank, so it has that going for it. But yeah, it was It's just eh. so it's so odd to me that a band that made to Gal Gal ends up making this two years later. Well that's like, the thing. I don't understand how they like all these albums came out super soon after each other. Like, all of these are basically just back-to-back-to-back. They were just always into, like, experimenting and playing around with stuff and doing whatever came to them. So I guess that, in a way, that makes sense. I guess, the rapid progression. Well, yeah, I mean, I think some of, like, Tego Mego and Iggy Banyaza, there's still this very prominent rhythmic element that's, like, on those albums, it's kind of like almost primal, like, like 
otherworldly and surreal, which maybe is more engaging. And then on this album, it's still there, but it's more like, yeah, just lay lay out on the beach and just chill out to this album or whatever. Um, and yeah, there definitely there starts to be some of that jazz fusion influence showing up on this one. And but yeah, I actually I like it kind of more here than in some of their later stuff because they don't try to do too much with it. Um, yeah, I mean, I would agree. It's not it's not really my favorite of their albums, but I feel like as a as an album, it's maybe one of their most cohe like cohesive and it just it works very well as an album um and um yeah Let's see did i have anything uh but yeah it does get boring like especially close to the end of the last song um but also i i really wouldn't say doesn't seem like ambient is necessarily the dominant influence on here or the dominant style, but it does show up a lot. But yeah, there's plenty of like, like jazzy and electronic sort of stuff going on. That's, that keeps it fairly interesting to me, but So, um, yeah, after this maybe, one, maybe it's just I, um, it says more about me than can, but I don't know. I feel like um, mood music is better if you're going for a negative emotion than a positive emotion. So, <laughs> I, like, I can sort of, I can, I can get that, yeah, <laughs> or at least it needs to be a strong emotion for it to like do anything, or else you're just like doing nothing. A boring stable. It's trying to like calm yourself down, I guess, but I'm not sure how this would do it to you. I don't know. I don't know. So, which one is next? Next one is my... Soon Over Baba Luma. How did this band decide all their album names, by the way? None of them make much sense, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there are reasons. Like, Tego Mego is like a name for some... I don't know if it's an actual island, but somehow it's associated with Aleister Crowley. <laughs> and then I just realized, as, as Caleb was saying the name, but I guess Saw Delight is a pun which I had not realized that, <laughs> but yeah. Anyways, I don't know. I have no idea what soon ever Baba Luma means, but uh, yeah, I guess I'll just intro it. Um, like as we were saying, it's kind of, it goes a bit further in the like jazz fusion direction to me, at least of future days, but also, you know, still kind of, 
ambient moodish like sort of there's some like tropical lots of like i don't i don't know to me it seems very like tropical and uh like maybe some like south american influences and stuff um which weren't really there before um and then yeah but as i was saying it's not i liked future days a bit better when they were just jamming out and or like doing their ambient thing whereas here uh, sometimes it gets to be a bit too much it's maybe it's just me knowing that they're not jazz musicians but i'd rather just listen to some actual jazz fusion like some you know bitches brew or some like uh mahavishnu orchestra or like one of those jazz fusion bands where they're extremely good musicians but yeah anyway what you guys think well this kind of leads, leads me to kind of a thing i had in my mind where i mean this sounds like um future days part two like as not really much more unique i can say on it i mean it had some tracks that were um Better, I want to say. I don't even want to say better, per se, because um, better, it's just different. Like, if you like Ambient, obviously you're going to like something like, um, oh, what was the opening track on it? Um, on this one? Or, Called Dizzy Dizzy. Oh, that was actually one of the upbeat ones. Um, I think it was um, Quantum Physics was the one I was thinking about, the closing track. You're going to like Quantum Physics better than like dizzy dizzy but um i don't know i feel like there's the makings of like a even better band here but i want to give the quick dates for when all of these albums were released since i don't think we really talked about time frame for all of this um monster movie was done in 1969 and then they released an album in 1971, 1971, they could have really broken down a lot more than they did. Like, obviously, they're one of the very successful bands, you know. All sorts of um, music nerds know them, but it seems like um, they ran out of ideas towards the end. Like, it's not that bad here, but later on, it gets really bad. I don't know. I would have... If I had the choice between getting the canned discography I did or getting... um. Four or five more to Gal Magaus, I would have taken the letter every single day of the week. Huh. Yeah. 
I'm I'm not going to argue that their late material sucks. So, <laughs> and I think my only thing to add is I think Sooner Babylon was a little better than Future Days. It felt a little like there was a little bit more body and rhythm to it, and like more ambient stuff flew a little better. Like it, where it felt like the lumpy of Future Days it was a bit put, better put together here, but don't have a whole lot. Okay. Yeah, well, um, now we we come to, <laughs> uh, I don't, let's see, what, what, I don't know exactly which album was next, but I know it was bad. Uh, oh, no, <laughs> Landed, Landed wasn't too bad, actually. Oh, wait, was it Landed? And it was next? Yeah. No, Landed was the next one. What did you think the next one was? I thought it was slow motion. Oh, yeah, Landed was 1975, and then Slow Motion was 76. Uh, my bad. Uh, uh, yeah, Landed was... What did you think of Landed, Caleb? Uh, it was okay. Uh, they started, yeah, like, I think it says on the Wikipedia page, and I agree with, like, you should go back to their, a little bit of psychedelia on this one, but it's a very different sort of psychedelia. Like on Monster Movies and Tagu Magoo, it was this very heavy, scary sort of psychedelic, you know, at acid trip, if you will. Whereas on this one, it's a very light, fun sort of, you know, wacky sort of psychedelic with a lot of the jazz that they were very obviously interested in. And they would be even more obviously interested in as it went on. Uh, it was uneven. I think the one song called Vernal Equinox was really fun. That's a good song. Uh, it's much more of a yeah, much more of a jazz album with a lot of solos and whatnot. Also, some of them were just sort of fell flat a little bit for me. So, I think the good tracks made up enough for it that it was like it was a decent album. It was a decent listen. And also around this point, like it just the track links start getting shorter and shorter. Like they never go into actually regular length for albums at any point I don't think but like it's harder and harder to find a track that reaches 15 minutes let alone 20 so that's my thoughts about Land uh, I don't know this album to me first of all this is a complete mess there's like no unity in any of these tracks like seems like they just had like six random songs lying around that were like um sides on all their other um albums they didn't have enough room for them they just threw together onto one um it's not bad but it's really uneven and there's no real cohesiveness to it um I think red hot italian um red hot indians not italians indians i'm dyslexic apparently um <laughs> Is Red Hot Indians is one of the weirdest songs I've heard in a while. Like not uncomfortable, not um um subversive, not counterculture, just weird. 
Like, I just don't know what it is, but it was really fascinating. It's kind of like a train wreck. All the of these things. What'd you say? Is that like the polka reggae song? Because I remember there being a polka reggae song. That might have been Dizzy Dizzy. I know there yeah, was some reggae on that one. Right. Yeah. I don't remember Red Hot Indians too well. <laughs> it was a weird. It had a lot of jazz in it, which was bizarre. Um, the Pitchfork review that I read for it called it um a bizarre jazz pop and um featuring um dual sax solos from. Eve says I'm a dual. I believe they're a metal act. I remember correctly, but I could have getting them confused. There's uh, a band similar no, to that. No, they're just a they're just another kraut rock band. You might be okay. thinking of like Amana Marth. <laughs> I, don't I think I'm thinking of Amana Marth, yeah. Or, okay, it's a band that has Amana and uh vowels with little dots over them. I'm going to assume it's some German metal band. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've assumed that about them in the past. Someone from that band was in was on this album. What'd you say? Someone from Amon Duel was on this album. Yeah, um, you know the sax solo in um Red Hot Indians? Yeah. From Amana Duel. Okay. Well, at least according to the pitchfork. Yeah, I didn't I didn't like this album very much. But I don't really see I didn't see a lot of jazz in it. I don't there was definitely improv like improvisation, but like playing random notes does not <laughs> does not make jazz. But yeah, uh there was that one song Hunters and Collectors that was like it sounds like a I don't know new wave sort of song or I don't know it sounds like it could almost be on like um, ah what's that Talking Head Talking Heads album um, whatever it's called but they're big one um but yeah, it it is definitely this album was all over the place, and I'm not sure what was going on. And then it ends with a song called "Unfinished," which, hey, you know, at least they were honest. <laughs> as far as the name, yeah. as far as the name goes, but well, should we move on? I think so. Now, almost through their um, really depressing deck half of their career. Yeah, so after this was... This is, this, is, this is an interesting discussion point. When do they get bad? Uh, I think Landed. Landed is like, like where they... Definite signs of weakness and flow motion is where... The uh, the diarrhea sets in, so to speak. That's what I was thinking. Landed is when cracks in their um methodology start like becoming more obvious, and then it just all just goes to hell right after it. So, 
Can you talk about flow motion, yeah. though? I think that's the right take. Yeah, flow motion is bad. When it started, I was like, oh, oh yeah, well, it starts with I want more, which is very much like a new wave pop song, right? Would you call it new wave? I don't know. Wikipedia said it was like a disco song, which I sort of heard with the chanting and the four on the floor, but also it had that weird, way too filtery guitar all the time. It just and really I- reminded me of of the a different Talking Heads album, the one with burning down the house on it. Yeah. Um, it. I guess it reminds me of disco more because like the Europeans had a very strange conception of disco from what I've gathered. And so this just sounds to me with like Europeans being left to sort of spend too much time away from actual disco would think of disco. And it's like, the whole album seems to experiment with like these other lightweight or cheesy styles. Like right after this, there's like the Hawaiian guitar waltz song and there's the reggae song and there's all these random songs, but they, they're like, kind of cheesy but they keep that cold can experimentalism with them that just makes it unbearable i just hate this album it's just bad (laughs) yeah doesn't sound good it just sucks and i i was trying to figure out if there were like hints that they knew what they were doing because i don't they seem like these really artsy intellectual people like Holger Chuke was like a music like a professor of music or something so it just doesn't make any sense to me like Cascade Waltz this just awful reggae attempt but but then the lyrics are like I don't know the lyrics are about like dying or something I don't remember they were really kind of dark and so I thought maybe that that was where the whole thing <laughs> maybe that's where the art comes into play. But yeah, just musically, this is not an enjoyable album. Like Babylonian Pearl. Uh, your turn, David. <laughs> Yeah, uh, um, to be honest, um, I could do this for the next five of their albums and just, um, take Caleb's It's Not Good, It Doesn't Sound Good, It's Not it's Just Not Good Music, and just put that on repeat. <clears throat> like, I didn't enjoy Future Days or Soon Over, um, Baluma. I get people that would like it. Like, I understand it. I just don't... It's not my thing. And Landed has, at its moments, I don't get why anyone would willingly take time out of their day to listen to any of these remaining ones. Like, if any of you guys have original things to say about each of these different albums and differentiations between them, um, you're um, stronger men than I am. Yeah. I 
was a little bit better than flow motion. Uh, just because less reggae, but yeah. And then, well, yeah, what did you think of Satellite, Caleb? Uh, kind of the same thing as landed with like sort of jazz, sort of the jazz elements and the psychedelic rock elements and pretty bland overall. I thought it was a bit more even, but a lot less interesting than landed, I guess. That would be my only real thing. It was like, eh. Okay. And then out of reach was when that's when they really went disco, right? I guess. I guess uh, I personally connect them more with like jazz fusion, specifically the Japanese jazz fusion scene with like a Cassiopeia, the Square, Jiro Inagake, those kind of guys. Basically think, huh. basically think Mario music, but a jazz band. <laughs> okay. I I ended up liking it because I like that style of jazz fusion where it's like, you know, very bright, very power chordy and like everyone's soloing and just having a good time and it's it's a very cheesy style. It's a very non-can style. Like Malcolm Mooney and Damo Suzuki would probably drop kick me. And the band would the rest of the band would shoot because they disowned this album for a while, but I liked it, but that was because I have a per personal liking for the aesthetic that they went for. More than, oh, I think this is can reaching their full potential, you know. Yeah. Huh. You didn't really, you wouldn't say it was like disco influenced? Sort of, but I felt it was some disco, but it's not, I don't know. I didn't feel it was too disco y because it's just because disco tends to be so like, hooky and repetitive. Like, you compare this to disco, like, artists that I love, like Donna Summer or Chic, much more. You can tell there's a far different level of musicianship, like, yeah. goals than any actual disco. Maybe there's some disco elements, but it's also still just the general jazz fusion over. Yeah, hmm. I think I'll I will have to return to some of these albums when I'm not so upset <laughs> that that the same band that made Tego Mago went on to make like and also the yeah the jazz fusion thing just is not it's generally not my style unless. It's really heavy on the jazz part of it. And I, I wouldn't say, I don't know. Like, yeah, there's lots of soloing and stuff, but maybe it's just me knowing, like I said this before, but maybe it's just me knowing they're not actually jazz musicians and they're not really, they're not really playing jazz chords ever chord progressions are still pretty much rock but anyways any thoughts david
don't get the point. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's kind of my thing. Like, I'm not really sure like, what they're trying to do here. Who likes it? Like, I didn't look at reviews for this. Was this received well at the time? I, I saw I like a Wikipedia. Imagine it was. I saw a little blurb on Wikipedia about like the reception, like what different publications rated it, and it didn't look very good. Uh, let me see if I can yeah. pull it up again for reference. Yeah, yeah I can post it. Oh wait. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pulling it up. Uh, let's see. All music gives it a two out of five. Encyclopedia of Popular Music gives it a two out of five. Pitchfork gave it a three point seven out of ten, and Rolling Stone Album Guide gave it a one out of ten. I'm gonna look up the Rolling Stone one and see. I just have the general feeling that there. I guess this is probably true with a lot of bands, but no one would be paying attention to any attention to Saw Delight or Flow or even Out of Reach if if they hadn't put out their first three albums, like. It would never even get off the ground so it, yeah it, it's kind of like eh, what's the point of listening to this i'll just go <laughs> which is not it's not the greatest mindset to have but that's whatever you have three more albums to make creative thoughts for so get them out of reach do you think? No, we're, we're talking oh, about was... Out of Reach. Yeah, that was the one we oh had. My God. I thought we were talking about Saw Delight. We... Oh, no. no. I mean, no. We're... No, see, we're, we're moving faster than you thought, so it's good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, but the fact that they are so interchangeable that I could not tell which one we were talking about. Because even talking about these albums, I'm just like, uh, I think that says all you need about it. I would not have gotten confused if you were talking. If you guys were talking about um, um, Tom Yaste or Tago Magao. All right. So next one is self-titled, um, also known as Inner Space. Uh, I guess at this point, Chuke is pretty much not part of the band anymore. It says his involvement was limited to tape editing. But let's be honest, that didn't make it much worse than what came before. <laughs> but we do have the Can Can song on here. So did you... <laughs> Any thoughts on that one? Yeah. Uh, the album as a whole is... Kind of similar to Out of Reach, except a bit more canny, you know. There's still the sort of general jazz fusion elements and whatnot. Uh, they mentioned Santana some from time to time when they're talking about him, and I guess that sort of fits. It does sound sort of a Santana-y type of thing with the guitar solos, but there's a bit more experimentalism, a bit more edge to it. One of, one of the tracks, I forget which one, but sort of a return to the noise experimenting. With days of yore. And then at the end, they play the Can Can on an album called Can by Can. Yep. And then they have a 13 second skit of them playing ping pong. 
just the sounds of them playing ping pong. And then the final track of the album, and the final track for most of for their main career block, is them doing the can can again. <laughs> oh, it's can 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 can. Ping pong, can 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 ping pong can. Ping pong is actually a lot because it kind of indicated to me, you know what. I still have a sense of humor to them, and they're still trying to experiment a little bit, which is an improvement over what they were doing before. It's a band being lucky enough to release just the sound of them playing ping pong is noteworthy to me. I think that's good. <laughs> okay. There you go. Good on them, I'm proud. There's... I think there's like a music box in the background too. I'm listening to ping pong right now. So that's interesting. <laughs> that, I, that, that song is going on my top 100 songs of all time. Mm -hmm. Hey, it's only Everyone 20 seconds. It. Put it on your bedroom playlist, Ricky. <laughs> okay. This time you're seducing someone. The sweet, sweet sounds of ping pong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So then after that was their final album, Right Time. And they got Malcolm Mooney back. And they just... Wow. So I, One of the Rate Your Music comments said that uh let me find it they they said this is what it would sound like if um randy newman and genesis got super high on every substance and made a record and i think that that's probably true like late period genesis like bad late period genesis <laughs> And the Randy Newman vocal comparison is pretty accurate, I think. It's just a lot worse. Yeah, with all those terrible-sounding synth pads and the offbeat drum machines and <laughs> yeah, it just all cluttered <laughs> and malformed and clunky and just doesn't work. And Malcolm Mooney's off, like... He wasn't a, he was a, admittedly, he was a pretty bad lyricist, vocalist on the first album, but one, he was like, you know, raw and energetic and 20 years younger, and it sort of worked because psychedelic rock forgives badly sounding notes pretty well. But he just sounds tired and lazy, and all the sense just bring it out all the more, and it's just, bleh. Yeah. It sounds like bad 90s hot procedural background music that's all right no i think i'm gonna end it with this little um i don't believe you guys saw it um this had a song of theirs that was um inspired by can it was Who? the oasis oh. the gallagher's yeah um but yeah normally having us um oasis have a 
lead sing, um, single based off of um, what you do is a good thing. But however, this came from 2008 Oasis, which is um, not a good thing. You do not mess with 2008 Oasis. They are very bad. And um, I listened to that Oasis song, My Shock of Lightning, as I mentioned. And um, ah, this sounds like late um, can as well. Both of them were just a lot of noise with no real cohesiveness behind it. And not be listened to at all. You can tell that they are talented people. You know they are capable of doing good stuff, but they are not doing good stuff, and you need to um, reward them for this. Uh, I would push back about being able to tell that they're talented people, <laughs> because <laughs> like, I don't give a you remember the first song? I, I assume that's what you're talking about with the offbeat drum machine thing. Like on the beautiful side of a romance, the the rhythm section is so strangely like off. It just sounds so like off kilter, and maybe it's intentional, but it's bad. Like, I don't know. It's just kind of a sad end. Well, any closing thoughts? Shall we can, can, and can, 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 can? I'd say let's kick this can on the road. And it... You've been listening to the Late Motif. We were listening to Can and we were enjoying it for a while. Uh, I'm Caleb Clark. Door. <laughs> I'm Ricky Flowers. And thank you for tuning in. See you next time. <laughs>